You're listening to the Utah Man Podcast, bringing you the latest news and analysis for your Utah Utes. Now, your hosts, Cameron, Ryan, and Scott. Welcome on into the Utah Man Podcast. On this episode, the Utes get thumped in Santa Clara in the Pac-12 Championship game. And we have some listener questions to go over as Utes get invited to the Alamo Bowl. I'm Cameron, and we got Scott. You almost said Ryan. I almost said Ryan. I did. <laughs> I was hoping you didn't notice. <laughs> bad habit there. Bad habit. Uh, Ryan is not with us on this episode. I think he's still in mourning from that game. Ryan couldn't handle it. He couldn't He couldn't come to terms with talking about that game. So, as everyone fully aware, Utah loses the Pac-12 championship game 37-15. to Oh, man. It's a heartbreaker. It hurts, dude. I'm, I'm still... Uh, that's that's going to linger for a while. That was, that was a blow. Because not only did you... Not, not only did they lose, but it was how they lost. We got we got manhandled. We got absolutely boat raced off the field. Yeah, I think it's kind of funny. A lot of you know the big games that Utah loses kind of stand out in people's eyes. Talking about the 2010 game with TCU, uh, the blackout in the middle of the afternoon game day. That one always gets brought up. I think this is the next one that gets kind of brought up. In, in Utah legend. No, I, I think this goes right to the top of the list because I don't I don't think I don't think it's I don't think you can argue it. Going into this game, it was the biggest game in Utah football history. With what was on the line would have literally changed the game for Utah football. Not only did everything go right Saturday to allow Utah to get into the playoff and almost secure with a win Friday night against Oregon, the Pac-12 title game, it would have secured the number four playoff spot and put us in, not only get the first Pac-12 title, but would have put us in either the Peach or the Fiesta Bowl to play for a national title. Wow, dude. Oh. Well, and I think not only that, looking at all the bowls that came out, I think the way Utah maybe showed in that hurt their chances of a Cotton Bowl. There's no doubt about it. There's no, I mean, the, the only P5 team that played in a in a conference title game and lost that did not get a New Year's Six Bowl game. And it's because of how far we fell. And, and obviously our resume did not uh, hold up because Penn State gets in over us because they have some quality wins, some top 25 wins. We did not. We played two top 25 teams all year. Well, I shouldn't say that. At the time, we did play ASU. They were ranked, but they 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 fell apart and um, were out of the rankings. But USC, Oregon, lost to both teams. Doesn't leave a whole lot on the resume, which you know that cost us. It it definitely cost Utah a lot, falling all the way to the Alamo Bowl. And it's kind of funny because I know in years past. Utah has Utah fans. We've wanted the Alamo Bowl, right? It, way better than the Vegas Bowl against the team down south. Well, it's better than a holiday nine times out of nine. <laughs> you know, we uh, going into ending a season in the Alamo Bowl means you've had an amazing season, 
and 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 we have so we can't lose sight of that this has been an epic ride and so much good happened this year it's just too bad how it ended is going to leave a, a a bad taste in everybody's mouth and unfortunately it it's it's not only going to to leave a mark on you fans but maybe more importantly it's going to leave a mark on our program nationally yeah, I think that's a very valid point because even before the championship game, Utah was getting a lot of heat. It even started with Nick Saban the week before, the week that Alabama was going against Auburn. Nick Saban was running his mouth about Utah um, and their schedule. Uh, and granted, he's doing it to kind of pump up his team and, and his conference. But then you have the ESPN talking head saying that no one in the country wants to see Utah. When Utah goes out and does this, lays this egg against Oregon on national television, when you're the only game that whole day, it doesn't bode well for the brand that they're trying to build nationally. Well, and it doesn't help the Pac-12 because the Pac-12 continually has gotten in this situation year after year after year, and they fold when it, when it matters most. And here was Utah, who was kind of breaking the mold. Who would have thought Utah would be the, maybe the school of the Pac-12 to, to lead them back to the playoff, to get them back because it's been this has been three years since the Pac twelve's been in the playoff. That's 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 not good to be absent for three consecutive years. And the Pac twelve needs as much good pub and as many good things to happen to them nationally to get back into that spotlight. And we had our opportunity and not only did we lose, it's one thing to lose, right? You're gonna you're gonna lose football games. That happens. Oregon is a good football team. Losing to them is not disgraceful. It's not, you know, it's not the end of the world. But how they lost to them, because it wasn't like Oregon pulled away late and won the game. We were never really in the game. Sure, we got it to one score in the second half. But as soon as that happened, we lost momentum again. And they just laid it right back on top of us. And which was so uncharacteristic of this football team all year long. And to me, that is the biggest the disappointment. Was as big of a game as this was, as many eyeballs were on our program and on the Pac-12. And it's not so much that we lost, it's how we lost that that's gonna sting for a while. Because we didn't come out we didn't we didn't come ready to play, and I don't know why. I mean, the players were, were dumbfounded. They couldn't answer the questions as to why they came out and played that way. But here you have an Oregon team who out-physicaled us offensively, defensively. I mean, they won every aspect of that game. But it's, 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 not, it's not the best day in the world when Mario Cristobal <laughs> is out-coaching you. Everything, not. everything about it was very uncharacteristic. Um, so let's hurry, let, let's dive into it before we get into into that. I know a lot of Utah fans used Vivid Seats to get their tickets at the Pac-12 Championship game, and Utah's headed to San Antonio for the bowl game. And you can use Vivid Seats again to get those tickets to that bowl game. Now, Vivid Seats is your top source for tickets for events. When, wherever you want to go. You can sort by price or look by seats in the section or all of your choice, all within the Vivid Seats app. And to make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. 
From the biggest concerts to the games, the hottest theater shows, and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and join the Vivid Seats Reward Loyalty Program today. We've run this promo a couple times now for our listeners when it's your first time to buy. So if you're head down to San Antonio and you need tickets, download the Vivid Seats app in your app store and enter code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount up to $100. So Oregon jumps off the game 20 to nothing into halftime. That first half was ugly by Utah. Just flat out ugly. Let's just get this out of the way right now. Officiating was terrible. On that first drive, Utah gets that first down on the first drive. On the Vickers play, on the Moss play, on second and third down, they get the first down, but every time they mark it short. Breeze should have been tossed for targeting, but instead he's rewarded with the MVP for the defense. There's another targeting die that stays should have been another toss for Oregon. But that being said, I don't think that was the that was the difference in the game. But Utah, they, they and what you said just a moment ago, Scott, they didn't fight. They didn't come with that urgency. Offensively in that first half, I I don't know what they were trying to accomplish. Everything that worked for the last 8 games that they've won, they went away from. Granted Oregon is a much better team than Utah's played in the last 8 games. But where was the pre-stat movement that's been so successful? Moving players into different spots on the field to get them successful. Rewatching it, Oregon did a great job defensively. They double-teamed Keithy every single play. Well, and, and outside of Keithy, that's the problem. is we just with, with Brian Thompson not being available, obviously, you know, we've been without Britton Covey all year, so you can't really go to that. But... We didn't, nobody really, really stood out or stepped up that could really go out and just create a lot of havoc offensively. Um, because, yeah, Keithy, they were not going to allow Keithy to, to beat them. They Which is that. fine, but that's where Ludwig, and I said this after the Colorado game, he, he, great season by Ludwig, not taken away from him, but he is so dang stubborn that if whatever he wants to do, that's what he's going to do. They're going to run Zach Moss up the middle all game long. It doesn't matter if it's going to get jammed. It doesn't matter if Keithy's going to get double teamed. He's not willing to make adjustments. Well, and and I don't know if he's not willing to make adjustments because he has made adjustments over the course of the year, but he, he didn't make them in that game. And why, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, obviously. But the, the thing that's, the thing that's disappointing is, it seemed like a very vanilla game plan. Very basic sets. We didn't spread them out at all. We continued just to do what we've done in the past, which granted, it has worked. But going into this game, I thought he was good. I thought we were going to see new sets. I thought we were going to see new wrinkles. I thought we were going to see some trick plays. I thought we'd see some trick plays. And, and especially with trick plays, when your offense is struggling in a make-or-break game, right? This is one game. you got nothing to hold back on. Why not throw a trick play in there, something that could maybe catch Oregon sleeping, something that could spark your offense, make a good play, maybe even get a score out of, and spark your offense and get some momentum because momentum was the hardest thing for Utah to get in that game. When they got it, they did some things with it. 
but it lasted for such a short period of time, and they needed more opportunities to spark that momentum. And and that's where I was kind of watching this game going, why are we just continually running the ball up the gut when we're not getting anything out of it? Especially on short down, short down um, yardage, third and one, third and two, fourth and one. I mean, we just weren't creative. And the one time that it looks like we were going to do a naked bootleg with Huntley on fourth down, Thedford, our third string tight end, false starts, and then we have to pump which then gets blocked because the right side of our three-man wall had tunnel vision and didn't even see a rusher coming and ran completely free, blocked it. Luckily, he fumbled it out of bounds, and it really didn't end up hurting us because they didn't score on that possession. But that's a momentum thing. But I think it goes back to where momentum, field position... Utah was terrible with field position, starting field position in that game compared to Oregon. A lot of it had to do with those fourth downs. Uh, oh, yeah. To me, those are turnovers. Why? Okay, the first, that's so unwit like. In the first series of the game, you're going for it on fourth down, where in some of those situations, you're in field goal range. Now, obviously, he does not have the confidence level in, in Jaden Redding that he had in a Matt Gay or an Andy Phillips. So I get that, but why not punt the ball away? It's the first series of the game. That right there changed momentum. Mm -hmm. Oregon gets the ball. They go down and score. And they never stopped. And, And we just continually went for it on fourth. And then late in the game, when we had a chance to go for it on fourth, we're down a score, time's ticking, we punt it away. It just it did not seem from a coaching perspective, you know, I, I don't I didn't love the game plan offensively. Defensively, they just beat us. They just they just out they wanted it more. They were more physical. Their athletes out athleted ours. That doesn't make sense, but it's true. <laughs> and you know, and then special teams were were nothing to write home about. Well, and it kind of seemed like all the little things that we talked about all season long with this team, whether it be the issues uh, at times with the offensive line and getting a run generated, or the issues on the third down, the third and shorts, the fourth and shorts, the special team, especially with punting, we've kind of talked about that all season long. All these little things that we talked about that we said could hurt Utah in a game. They all came true in the Pac-12 championship game. Well, yeah. And Oregon did their homework. They knew what to do. They knew those weaknesses of Utah, and they, they I mean, they took full advantage of it. Well, and it, it wasn't a missed field goal that cost us. It was the fact of not having confidence to even take your kicker and put him on the field was what cost us. Which is, it, it, it's interesting because, and obviously we don't see practice. That's something that's completely walled off from all media. We know that the the kicking game that we could see in spring ball wasn't very good, but did not even give him a shot all year, really. No, and and, and part of that's due to the fact that our offense was a lot more productive this year than it's been in years past where we haven't had to rely on a field goal kicker. Um, But, you know, it's as we've kind of gone through this, you can't really place this blame as you mentioned kind of you started out on this how bad the officials were atrocious but they're atrocious week in and week out 
I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and and say the, we lost the game because of the referees, because it's not true. No. Did they have an impact? You bet. When Tyler Huntley's probably seeing stars and maybe concussed because he has two two times he's drilled in the head by another guy's helmet. And and those guys are not taken out of the game. There's no penalty. There's no first down given to extend a, a drive for us. You were continually hurt. And obviously, Breeze goes on to be a f- phenomenal throughout the rest of the game. But, I mean, we gave up 239 rushing yards on the ground. I mean, that just, that hasn't happened. That, that has not even come close to that's happening. That's not a Utah team. Only gave up um, a 70-yard run uh, to Verdell. Well, and, and, and Burgess, who's been one of our, our most reliable tacklers all season long, he's in the hole third and short on Verdell, and instead of standing him up, he dives at his ankles, doesn't get him, and he's off to the races, and, and, and at that point, the game's over. And, and that's, that was the, that was the, the killer, and, and Utah knew it because they absolutely folded after that. The oh, offensive yeah. line could not block a cow. I mean, they, 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 were, they were atrocious, and, and I'll tell you what. I am a Utah man through and you through and through. I will ride with these guys until I'm six feet underground, and hopefully I'm six feet underground and underneath you know the north end zone. <laughs> but you got to call a spade a spade, I and mean, we got to be realistic. We got we got embarrassed in in such a big game. As 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 much as that hurts to say it, it's true, and that's why we fell in the polls like we did. And that's why we just lost a absolute golden opportunity to really put ourselves on the map and to reward this team by playing in at the very least a Rose Bowl, if not a playoff. And that that's what's that's what's so sad is these guys came back for this. They came back and they played an amazing season all year long to put themselves in this in this situation. And that's why I'm so baffled. That this was why they came back, and that was the performance. And it wasn't just Huntley; it wasn't just Moss. Moss didn't look himself, you know. And I know these guys are dealing with injuries and nagging things. And I, I mean, he couldn't tackle anybody. Early on in that game, he was diving in, and and uh, and uh, Herbert would keep it and run to the outside. Um, you know, bad reads, obviously going up against uh, Penny Sewell, who's, if not the best left tackle in college football, you know, but he couldn't get anything sparked um, in the pass rush game. So you had all these seniors, even Lucky Foto, who has been dominant, was not dominant, which is why they were successful in the run game. Now, you got to give Oregon credit because their offensive line is really, really good, and they proved that. They took it right at our D line, which is our strength, and they beat us, and they beat us pretty bad. So you got to give credit to this Oregon team; they earned it. They they were the by far the better team. But the thing that's frustrating is they they didn't play that well once this season. They look like the Oregon team of old in that game. This was not the Oregon team that lost to ASU. No. And, you know, I, I threw this out on Twitter after the game as I was kind of thinking about things. You know, Tyler Huntley says after, as, as we end the regular season against Colorado, he, they were looking back, said that USC loss turned us into monsters. 
which we saw. They went went on an eight-game winning streak, dominated teams. It was absolutely amazing. That loss to ASU, I think, woke Oregon up, and it turned them into monsters. And they they recommitted, and they they were now the underdog. All they were hearing about was Utah, 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 Utah. They weren't being talked about anymore. They they knew it, if they wanted to do anything, they had one more shot at it, and they came ready, and they they gave it their best shot. And so credit to them, man. I still can't wrap my hand my he, my head around this. I, I will give Utah credit in this game. Uh, they Oregon yes was up twenty to nothing at halftime, uh, but they weren't blowing Utah out as as far as statistics yardage. Uh, it really came down to those turnovers. Again, I'm counting those fourth down, com- not converted, two turnovers. Uh, and then in the third quarter, Utah started getting it going. They got it down to a one-score game. Uh, and, and then, you know, it was when Oregon kind of busted that out and, and got that touchdown in the fourth quarter, uh, you know, that's when Utah kind of threw up the white towel, kind of folded like a cheap folding table, whatever that saying is. <laughs> I don't know what it says, but but I will give Utah credit. They they did fight back, and it that third quarter it did give me hope. Like I I honestly had had a, a hope that Utah was coming back when it, when they caught it down to eight. I was like, all right, here they go. They're they're starting to get their their kind of mojo back. Their swagger was kind of coming back. Um, but again, that whole game was just, it was just odd. It wasn't the typical Utah we've seen the last eight games. No, it wasn't. And out of characteristic across the board. And yeah, they did, you know, and, and, and at halftime losing 20 to nothing, it was clear. It was going to take a, a monumental effort to win that game. From doing nothing in that first half to shut Oregon down and to come back and beat them, it would have taken a monumental effort. But what I wanted was to not go out just like that, is to come out and fighting. And they did. They did do that. They fought and they clawed back in it, finally got a score after six scoreless um, quarters in that title game. They get they get on the board, get some defensive stops, get on the board again, go for two, and bring it to that one-score game. <clears throat> and at that point, momentum was clearly on our side. Herbert had just had seven straight incompletions. They were doing nothing offensively. And that's why that third down stop would have been huge because it gives us the ball back with uh, about a little over seven minutes on the clock. Momentum on our side, but that, that broke it. That absolutely broke it. At that point, you would have had uh, Utah would have had to score twice within seven minutes. And just the way our offense was operating, we didn't have those quick strike capabilities in that game and and no defensive turnovers we didn't force anything um, which could have given us maybe a short field given us even maybe a defensive score to spark the team so you just really didn't have any of those aspects that were really leading Utah to the opportunity to get back into that game and absolutely win it Um, and just you know tough man it's but that's football. I mean, that's sports. Stuff happens. Upsets happen. Um, unfortunately, we've, we've been on the good side of it most all year outside of two games. But uh, 
it's it's a bummer that those two games were against the two big dogs in the conference in USC and Oregon and and it, it kind of goes back I think it leads us into that discussion is where are where is Utah talent talent wise and athletically and speed wise against the USC's and the Oregon's of the conference and, and as much progress as we've made we 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 still got a little ways to go Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I think that's a great segue right there, Scott. Uh, you know, we opened it up for the, the questions, and um, we got a great response. Um, I know we said this on the last episode, and it was our 150th episode, but another big thank you to all you listeners uh, for all the interactions that, w- that we have with you. It really helps, you know, really drive this show and really keeps really keeps us motivated to, to, to get better and to keep it going. Uh, so a lot of questions actually came through um, on scheduling and and recruiting. Uh, so let's hurry and let's just kind of dive start diving into them. All right. So one of the first questions we got uh, sent to us in Twitter from at Miss Amy Nelson. Uh, so she asked, "Who makes Utah schedule?" But for the next for foreseeable future, our non-conference games are crap. Um, when we won't get any respect or recognition from the committee. Uh, the answer the first part of the question, as far as the Utah schedule, it, it's the AD who does it, uh, kind of leads it. Uh, Kyle Winningham does have some say in it. Um, I know when, when Chris Hill was, was the AD up at the U, they kind of tried to do the ABC methodology. Um, it it kind of seems like since Harlan's been there, I haven't really heard the ABC kind of schedule. Harlan's beefing it up. He is so Harlan's. Uh, he's able to get the Florida game, uh, the Arkansas. Arkansas uh, so we have some SEC teams. Well, coming and we in. we got Baylor coming up. So there there are bigger games coming on the horizon. But it's 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 really how you look at this. I mean, you look at it. Had had Oregon gone with a, a philosophy like we had this year, they'd be in the playoff right now, because that Auburn loss kept them out of the playoff. Or ASU loss. Well, the ASU obviously the ASU lost late, but they still end the season eleven and one, even with that ASU loss. So, so if you look at that going into that, th- those those big time early season preseason uh, um, games, if you win it, it's great. It's gravy. You get a top twenty five win. It gets you some momentum. It gets you. It gets you climbing those rankings early on in the season. So if you do have a late season ASU loss, it doesn't hurt you as bad. That's what the SEC does. They're so high in the rankings that they've had, they have losses. They don't even fall that far because they're already so high in the rankings year after year. But if you lose that game, you're you're climbing uphill battle the entire rest of the rest of the way and you literally as we saw with Oregon, you can't afford any loss. Well, and I think too with you, with as far as Utah scheduling, it is I think they go into this into the season expecting the Pac-12 to kind of be a little bit better, um, and and obviously at the beginning of the season, 
you know, there were, what, five, six teams that were ranked out of the Pac-12. The only problem, though, is that they all start losing and they drop out of the ranking. We just beat up each, we beat up on each other. Whereas the SEC, if they kind of beat up on each other, they don't get penalized as much. Um, so I, I think that's kind of why Utah doesn't get the respect uh, for their conference play. Well, and, and it's a different setup. The big teams in the SEC don't play each other year in and year out. Texas A&M played Auburn this year for the first time since they joined the conference. They've been in the conference for eight years. It's the first time they played Auburn. Whereas we're playing, we go two years without playing somebody. So obviously we've got that ninth game. So that ninth game gives you one more opportunity for every team just to beat up, beat up on each other. And... Um, so, so there's there's advantages that the other conferences have that are built in, not to mention we're on the West Coast. We're always going to fight that battle. Our time slots are not good, and people don't watch them. I mean, you saw in the Pac-12 title game, they mentioned, no, if you're tuning in, this may be the first time you've had the opportunity to watch Utah play. Nobody watches Utah play because they're always playing at 830 on the freaking Pac-12 network. So, yes, do you want to go early season and, and, and try and get some of those big games? But there's a risk. If you lose, it's it's gonna hurt it's gonna hurt your stature and it's gonna hurt your ranking and you're just gonna have to you're nearly gonna have to be perfect to get back into it. And really that's what Oregon had to do, right? Oregon had to be perfect the rest of the year, uh, because of that Auburn loss and when they lost the ASU game, they were completely discounted yeah and, and and with that said i'm i'm all in favor of beefing up the schedule because as a season ticket holder i'm sick and tired of going the when watching the first three games of the season against weber sacramento state school of the blind like let's get let's let's have some more exciting games i you know when we had michigan come in here heck when we traveled to michigan Obviously, yes, we're going to be going to Florida. They're going to be coming here, Arkansas. So we've got some of those coming. Baylor, which now it looks like a really good game with how they've turned their, their mm-hmm. program around. So there's, there's things on the horizon which are going to help, but you've got to win those games because Pac-12 will never get the benefit of the doubt. They've got to go out and prove it, and they continually year after year don't prove it. And just to kind of follow up with the scheduling for at a conference, uh, Utah is in a position where they can do a one and done, um, especially with like the Wyoming's. I know they've they've scheduled that uh, Fresno State. They went into Fresno State. Uh, heck, last year they went to Northern Illinois and then had them come back here. So a lot of that has to do with, with the funding. They they can't do the one and dones, um, and then they won't do that with with the P five. I mean, they have to set up. They have to get the right situation, so a team has to be like a like a Florida or an Arkansas that will agree to a home and home. Uh, so that, I think that's kind of where a lot of it lies. Um, it will be interesting going forward with what Harlan does with scheduling. Um, it just seems like he kind of has a little bit different philosophy uh, than than what Heald had. Uh, so it'll definitely be interesting to see what going forward. Uh, so thank you, Miss Amy Nelson, uh, for sending that in. Uh, so our next question uh, from Jazz U Niner. Uh, he says, I know I'm probably overreacting, but is it possible that Utah just can't recruit well enough to compete on the national stage? I think it's a really interesting question. Um, I know uh, we got a lot of recruiting questions, and I I think the biggest thing is it it is getting better, right? Utah, 
every year since they've been in the Pac-12, it, their the recruiting the recruiting rankings have gotten better. Yes, they they still get a ton of the three star guys. They haven't really broken much in the four, uh, and really no five star recruits. Uh, but I think it's getting better. It is getting better, but I, but I think we as a fan base, I think we've kind of forgotten where we've come from and and really where we're at. We are not a USC. We don't have that brand. We are located in Salt Lake City, Utah, which, as we know, is an amazing place. People outside the outside of here don't know that. There's still still the stereotypes that are associated with this state that are slowly being broken down, but they still exist. And I guarantee you every coach that recruits against Utah is using these against us. And and you you see it continually. Kids come on visits to Utah, and what do they say? Wow, this is a a great place. I had no idea. I thought it was just a small little college town. I mean, people don't know what, what we have to offer here until they actually get here. So that is continuing to continuing to change, but it wasn't that long ago that we were kind of a nobody in the Mountain West Conference until Urban Meyer came in 2003. And that kind of broke us out a little bit, and Utah's been on a steady climb since then. I mean, it's we've only been nine years as a P5 team, and we've just played back-to-back seasons for a conference title in the Pac-12. Utah has made an enormous climb to where we stand right now. But we're not an Oregon. We're not a USC. We don't have that flash in the pan. Not to mention, we don't play what a lot of people consider an exciting brand of football. We're not throwing the ball 50 times a game. We're not scoring a million touchdowns that way. We run the ball, which is not sexy. We play good defense, and we have good special teams. That's not sexy. So it's going to take time for us to get, I think, to where maybe the fans all expect us to be. Well, and I think also it took time for Utah to learn how to recruit being in the Pac-12 and being a P5. For sure it um, did. They had to really adjust what they were doing, what they were selling with the program, because not only had the program transitioned, uh, but now they were going they were going against head to head with the Oregons, with the USC's, where they weren't really doing that as much in the Mountain West. It was more are we out recruiting BYU, TCU, you well, know, yeah, San Diego State. In the Mountain West Conference, we averaged coming in, in the sixties and seventies every year in the recruiting. Since we've joined the Pac twelve, it has been a continually every year it has gotten better. Little by little by little, whereas we're now in the 30s. That's a huge increase. I mean, um, Pick 6 Previews talked about that. What a steady climb Utah has done, in which is, which is somewhat unheard of, the climb that they've been on since they joined this conference in the recruiting rankings. So, yes, if, if we're going to compare ourselves to an Oregon or a USC, yeah, we still have a ways to go. But we've made so much progress, and this year it's going to be a smaller class. But if, if you do follow recruiting, you know, plug for Ute Zone. You know, Ute Zone is an absolute dynam, dy, dynamite um, resource and website to get recruiting information and kind of get a lot of the information that does not make it to, to social media and things like that. 
But Utah's Utah's making some grounds. I mean, right now we have four four-star quarterbacks in the program. So just just today, Jake Jake Bentley, a three-year starter at South Carolina, grad transfer, is just transferred into the program. Huge, huge. He he's passed for over seven thousand yards, fifty-eight total touchdowns in three years as a as a starter. I mean, he's not, he just hasn't been a part of the program in South Carolina. He's been their starter for three years, so he comes in ready to play, big time. Big time guy, and he's going to compete against Cam Rising, another four star who's been in the program, learning under Ludwig for the last year, who had to redshirt this year because the NCAA uh, crapped on us once again, and uh, so he didn't have an opportunity to play this year. You got Jason Shelley, who we all know what he's capable of, and he can still surprise people in this quarterback race. And you just got a, a four-star transfer from Baylor this year. So when was the last time we had that many high-profile four-star quarterbacks in our program? It's never happened, ever. We haven't even come close to that. So the recruiting is getting better, but it's not, it's not going to happen overnight. I know fans are frustrated, but Utah's on this climb, and, and the climb's not over. We still got ways. We still got a ways to go. Yeah, and but I still think at the end of the day, Utah's never going to be a USC. No, they're never going to be in Oregon with all that Nike money. But that's okay. I I honestly think that is okay. It's it's okay because, because you have Kyle Winningham and this staff who can develop talent. Exactly. You and the thing is that Utah knows who they are now, and they are recruiting the way that bets fits them, and they're getting the guys that that fit their system. Yes, we will never be to that that USC level. Guess what? Nobody else in this conference outside of Oregon is doing it. UCLA's not even doing it. Now, they, they recruit really well, but they have such a disaster of a program and coaching staff that they're just not able to actually see the fruits of it. But we, we don't, we're not in sunny, sunny California, Southern California. We're, we're cold. We're snowy. Some kids don't like that. And then you've got, you know, this whole idea of that we every high profile Utah recruit should stay here in Utah. Well, guess what? A lot of high profile kids in California are leaving the state. In Washington they're leaving the state. Texas. Texas they're leaving the state. It's not a Utah thing that we just can't keep the big guys here. Kids want to go experience something different. Some want to stay home and they want to be a hometown hero. Other kids, they want to go experience something new. You know, and so it, it's always going to be a battle. But, you know, where, where I stand and kind of obviously, you know, we follow this pretty closely because we're diehard fans and, and uh, you know, doing the podcast and, and a number of things. We, d- we dive in deep to this, uh, maybe to a detriment. But where I stand, I'll tell you what, I think we're in a very good spot and it's only going to get better and better and better. But, yeah, we're not there yet. And that's okay. Uh, I do want to mention that uh, Jazz Ute Niner goes on to, uh, to ask uh, in this question, too. If Utah is getting the three-star recruits, how are they being able to compete against teams with more four- and five-star recruits? The answer to that is Kyle Winningham and how they're developing the talent. To, to your point earlier when you brought up Pick 6 Preview, they're statistically Utah is developing the most players in the NFL 
for what they were rated at at a high school. Number one in the country. Uh, so thank uh, Jazz Ute Niner uh, for emailing that in. Uh, another question, again, another one for recruiting emailed in uh, by JB. Uh, I know there's a lot of concerns right now with how this class is looking. Uh, it, right now, there may they only have two to three, four stars that are committed to Utah. Uh, and then also, uh, he's also worried about what happened after the Oregon game, if that's going to hurt recruiting. Um, I'm going to steal a line from our good friend Dan Sorensen with Ute Zone, uh, who has done this for over 15 years. One game isn't going to make a difference in recruiting. Just because Utah lost that game against Oregon isn't really going to change recruits' minds uh, about how they feel about Utah, what they think about Utah. I think a lot of it has to do with why there's not a lot of noise is the way Utah recruits. Washington, Oregon, USC, UCLA. ASU. ASU is a great one. Love to see who Utah offers. They follow Utah around. They do. And because Utah has a reputation of of finding guys. The diamonds in the rough. Eric Weddles, Alex Smith. I mean, countless guys. Sean Smith. I mean, recently, just look at our team. Tyler Huntley was not highly recruited. Now, Zach Moss was. You know, Zach Moss w- was pretty highly recruited. Bradley and I, it came down to Utah-BYU. You know, Utah has a reputation for going out and finding guys that other schools don't give any time to. Another perfect example is my defensive breakout player of the year, Devin Lloyd, who was not getting any attention. Utah looked at him and said, look, we're gonna. If you look at his size, his athleticism, what we project him to be, which was linebacker, which he excelled at this year, they brought him in the program, and his first opportunity. Now it took some time; they had to develop him, and 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 he had to learn the position. But his first time starting this year, and he was an absolute stud. Nobody gave him offers. He 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 wasn't turning down USC or Washington or Cal or even Arizona State to come here. He was turning down Mountain West schools. But Utah can find these guys and develop them, and and everybody around us is, has taken notice. And so they, they say, oh, Utah just offered this kid. He must be good. Let's go offer. And, and we've lost some recruits doing, having other teams jump in late on um, and just kind of piggybacking. So Utah has done things a little bit differently, kept keeping things a little closer to the vest, not letting uh, a lot of information out there for the fans and the general public to become aware of. But they've had to do that so that they can continue to find these guys and then actually bring them into the program. And, and uh, so what they're doing is working. And and they're now getting into more doors, and they're they're be, they're becoming a bigger threat to land the big guys, and you're seeing that. Uh, so one guy I think that kind of just popped into my mind that wasn't very heavily recruited, Brant Keithy. I mean, here's here's someone who I think Utah did a lot of research on. He him and his brother. We haven't really seen you know his brother as much because of injury, but here here's a guy who, who fits the Utah mold. It wasn't a big flashy sign. It was only he was a th- rated a three star. Well, 
I I remember when he signed. I'm like, who is this? Who are these dudes? And 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 obviously, Brandt's proven to be an absolute stud and uh, kind of one of those diamonds in the rough. He's he's not your traditional uh, tight end size, but he's able to play that position in that H back position so well. And he's a complete mismatch for the defense. And and but guess who saw that? The Utah coaching staff saw that, and they projected him. I mean, he was a running back in Texas in high school, a running back. So if obviously to play running back in Texas, you got to have pretty good speed. They knew that they could they could project him into this position. They get got him on campus, and as a true freshman, he's out there making plays. And his sophomore year this year just absolutely blew up. So it's a great example of what this coaching staff does and what they're going to continue to do while mixing in some more four-star guys um, to really kind of boost and continue to bring more athleticism and more speed to this to this team. And, and to the fans that, you know, really follow recruiting, I'm not saying you can't, you know, judge the class and, and what uh, Utah's doing in the recruiting as far as rankings and whatnot. I would just say maybe hold off for right now. Uh, and maybe wait until the class is signed um, to pass judgment. Because, again, there's guys that, well, we, diamonds in the rough, don't know a lot about. And then there are the kids that Utah st- strategically wants to keep under wraps. They don't want it out there uh, just to kind of keep teams at bay. And then another aspect, of, of I think, of recruiting that Utah, I think, has done tremendous on is the transfer portal. What we talked about, getting Jake Brantley in, a four-star quarterback out of high school a few years ago. The quarterback out of Baylor, Peyton Powell, uh, to see what he can do at Utah's at the quarterback position. So I think when you look at recruiting with Utah, because they're not a name brand like a USC in Alabama, uh, at Oklahoma, I think you have to look at the big picture, um, look at everything, and and then pass judgment on that. And I think that kind of goes in line with the question from that we had earlier from Jazz Uniner, uh, how Utah can compete with teams with bigger stars is because uh, of Kyle Winningham, the development, them doing their own research uh, for guys in their program. Uh, and then uh, the next question by JB, uh, just want to know about the bowl game. Uh, do you think Zach Moss is going to play? Are people going to be upset if he or Anai, uh, for example, sit out so they don't risk their future? Uh, Scott, I'll get I'll get your thought in just a minute. I tweeted this out right after uh, Utah was selected to the Alamo Bowl. I want the guys to play. I, I want to see them one more time. I want the uh, the seniors and the ones going to the NFL, like like a Johnson. I want them to have that experience, and I want them to to go out hopefully with the win, get that Oregon game out of, out of their mouth. But if they choose not to play, I'm not going to fault them. It's their life. It's their football career. They gave everything they could to the program and more. So if they choose for the for them not to, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hold it against them. Yeah, I mean it's it's becoming a bigger a bigger trend where if you're not playing in one of you know the big important Rose Bowl, New Year's Six type bowl, or the playoff, a lot of these bowls you know can be considered pointless. And so why are these guys gonna go out there when they are gonna be drafted? And put themselves in harm's way, you know. You, Blackman, that injury, that ACL injury that that he sustained on that stupid field in Santa Clara, um, that affects his draft status. 
because he's not going to be available right off the bat. And so our 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 team's going to draft him at all. Um, or they're going to obviously push him back. So a Zach Moss, a Bradley and I, even a Jalen Johnson, those guys are going to take that into account and to say, hey, do I want to do this? Do I not? Um, and, and yeah, as a fan, we all want them out there, but you know, they need to do what's best for them. Um, but I'll tell you what, whether they play or they don't, Utah has to show up in this bowl game. Is it a disappointment to go play a seven and five Texas team? If you're, if you're looking strictly at record, sure. Yeah. It's a disappointment that we're playing the five loss team in the Alamo bowl, but it's still Texas. You don't get to play Texas all that often especially in a bowl game. And what Utah needs to do is they need to beat a big boy. We haven't done it for a while. That's how in the Mountain West, you know, we had the we had the the graveyard where we we beat these teams. Well, we beating them, we were the underdog. Guess what? We were the we were the favorite at Oregon. We got pounded. We're, we're already the favorite in the Alamo Bowl against Texas. If we're going to be missing some significant seniors, what team's going to show up? The team we saw in the regular season or, or the team that we saw just last Friday night? So perception-wise, if we if getting hammered in the Pac-12 title game and then you go, you go put on top of that a bad performance against Texas in a bowl game, now, now we're really talking about a, a hit to our perception nationally. Utah's got to go out, and they've got to win this game, and they've got to look good doing it. And and for these guys, man, they're competitive. They they don't want to end the season like this. I think I think you're gonna I think you're gonna get a good effort out of out of this team. But it is gonna be interesting to see what happens. It, who plays? Who doesn't? Um, because that could affect drastically uh, um, how things look going into as U- as Utah prepares for this game. As we get closer to the Alamo Bowl, you know, we'll have an episode kind of breaking down that game. Uh, we're already working on getting an interview on the Texas side uh, to really give us an inside look on that. Uh, and then I think this is probably going to be our last question just for timing. Uh, it's sent in on Twitter by SNW Bound. It says, Wit seems to consistently show unprepared when, when the cards are stacked in his favor and or when the stakes are the highest thoughts uh, and he kind of lists the games more the last couple of years where utah if they just took care of business they would win the division that year it, it is kind of frustrating it does seem like when utah is not the underdog when they are the favorite when it is their their time to shine they kind of fold well but i don't that's not just a utah problem um i mean it wasn't all that long ago that that was clemson clemson couldn't win a big game to save their life if you remember, people were saying using their name as Clemsoning, meaning you couldn't win a big game. You didn't show up in a big game. And now look what, look where Clemson is now. They had to learn how to be a big boy. They haven't been a big boy that long. They had to get there, and they had to they had to take some lumps along the way. And we're taking some lumps. There's no doubt about it. But a lot of schools struggle when you're the favorite. It's pretty natural. You play tight. You don't want to. You don't want to lose the game when you're the favorite. When when you're an underdog. When we were an underdog against Alabama. When we were in the Mountain West playing Pac-12 teams in the regular season and bowl games, we were never expected to win. 
So you can go out there with nothing to lose. These coaches can call games with nothing to lose. And they play freer. And oftentimes the underdogs are always going to play better. There's less pressure on them. Whereas Utah going in, they've won eight straight. The entire country had been talking about them for a month. And they played tight. There's no doubt about it. There's a psychology behind it, which is what really made Urban Meyer so great, was he has the ability to get his team in the right mindset, even as a favorite. And in Whittingham, you know, I think he's done well at times, but he loves the chip on his shoulder. He, 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 UCLA runs their mouth about being more physical. Well, guess what? Witt uses it all week to get his team ready to go. Wyoming guarantees a win. He onsides it. You know, he's up 50 points, onside kick, and he's got other coaches flipping the bird from one side of the field to the other. So it's 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 so much easier when you're the underdog. When you're the favorite, getting your guys to, to play their game and play loose, it's not as easy as, you know, and, and you know, I'm not here making excuses for him. As, as a fan, I want to see improvement in it. We, we need to win these games. If we want to get to where... We want this program to be, you've got to win the big games. And we, we, we've proven that we haven't been able to do that. And I think you could look at last year's title game versus this year's title game. We went in with a backup quarterback and a backup running back, really not expecting to win. And defensively played lights out, held uh, Washington out of the end zone, and we lost by a touchdown. But we played really well in that game, even though we were completely undermanned. All of a sudden, a year later, we're the favorites, and we played like we were scared to death. So it's 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 a tough deal to put your arms around, and it's easy to say, man, just change the mindset. But by nature, we're all kind of that same way. When, when people don't expect much out of us, sometimes it's easy to thrive. When there's lofty expectations on us, to even in your work to go out and accomplish something, there's more pressure to do it. And it sometimes becomes harder to do it. So I think Utah's working through that. This coaching staff, they're learning. And obviously, they're going to they're gonna look back and say, okay, what we did in preparation didn't work. So what do we need to change moving forward? And and I think they're just going to continue to learn and, and, and get better. But it's, it's, it's a process like anything. All right. So I think that's kind of going to do all the questions uh, we're going to be able to get in into this episode. Uh, but, you know, continue to, to send them in. We love this interaction with the listeners. Uh, and, and again, we appreciate all, all the notes of support. Um, it does a lot for us. Scott, where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, you can find me at Uteman underscore forever. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Utah Man Podcast. You can always listen to us anywhere you listen to a podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. We are there. And you can also go to our home at utahmanpodcast.com. And go Utes. Go Utes. We'll be till I die. Kayai. We're good. Let's cut it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are their own and are no way affiliated with the University of Utah.